On this episode of the Atlas Air Guns podcast, we talk to Tun Jones. From acting to air guns, Tun has done just about it all. We talk about his acting career, RC cars, shot show, barbecuing, and, of course, his views on air guns and the recent developments at Air Force Air Guns. How you doing? <laughs> doing pretty good. Just been busy as can be. Your friend Brian really uh, helped me out by batting for you. He kept, he kept saying, "You gotta, gotta talk to him. You gotta talk to him. He's good people. He's good people." So, <laughs> like, all right, all right, I'll, I'll ask him. Brian is absolutely amazing. I love that guy. Yeah. Little ton. I uh, talked to him at EBR. He was staying at Christian's house. Um, I think. John Bagakis was there too. There's the house they were all staying in, so I met him. Yeah, met him. that's where I was staying. Okay, so I met him briefly. I dropped off Christian because I picked him up at the airport. And man, I hate that airport. Dude, absolutely horrible. Yeah, the the roundabout like that. You have to go around <laughs> that circle, and it, it was slow. It took 30, 40 minutes just to get from the cell phone lot to pick him up on the gate. Oh yeah, that's in. That airport is the biggest. That cell phone lot is miserable. I will, every time I actually am there and have to pick up somebody, I'll go in into the parking area, into like the covered parking, and I'll wait there until someone either kicks me out or someone shows up. Yeah, he was uh, He was kind of surprised I took so long. And I was like, I was actually here. I think he thought I was on the other side of town when he called me. And I was right there, ready, ready to pick him up, and it still took forty minutes. And I think he thought I was just being a you know lazy bum. I was on the other side of town or <laughs> irresponsible. I wanted to give him a crap and be like, "Man, that took a lot to pick you up." But um, well, thanks for coming on. I I really just wanted to give you a platform to talk about who you are, where you've been, where you're going, and audience has a demand for you obviously so <laughs> i guess we're start with uh let's talk about the, the i mean when you pull you up on google you're an actor oh, you know God. you've got the actor actor quotes on you so tell me about yeah. that first because obviously you're a public figure and a lot of people do know you for that yeah i've been in the film and television world since 1996 um, and I have been everything from in front of the camera, behind the camera, support, uh, film and television support, wildlife rescue, uh, wildlife animal handler for a lot of TV shows. Anytime there was a venomous snake on TV, pretty much all of the nineties, it was either one of me or my buddies all the way up until about 2000. 12 to 2015 is when everybody started getting to the point where it was just too much of a hassle to deal with exotics and permits. Now there's a few of us that still do film and television with wildlife, but I went back to the front of the camera in 2009, 2010, I started auction hunters and I hosted that show till 2015, 2016. Um, I've worked music videos for over 20 years being in music videos. I've ever been 
everything from a bad guy to a dude breathing fire on top of a burned up car to working venomous snakes for Slash when it was Velvet Revolver. Yeah, I've survival specialist for Man vs. Wild. I was their animal wrangler for over 10 years. It Just about it all. And a little bit of film there. <laughs> I saw that you've done RC car in the past. Oh my god. Team Associated. I raced for them for quite a few years. I was completely obsessed on my off time with RC cars. And I would go and race for Team Associated and it was absolutely amazing. I got sponsored by them, and at the time it was called Hobby People. And nothing like going around, and I wasn't even really that good. I mean, I would, I would place probably three out of five times. Races I'd place in the top three or the top five. But most of it was just to see my awesome wrecks, and they loved it. I would destroy so much crap. We'd go out and do uh, youth events where we'd go to schools and show kids with RC cars. And I would take these RC cars that would run 60, 70 miles an hour. We would tune them up and we would launch them across their football field and just destroy them. We would try to jump on top of their buildings. And it was just a lot of fun. <laughs> I raced uh, with Traxxas, not, not on any kind of professional level, but just for fun. I had a tracks a stampede that i probably put six hundred dollars into and i had a team associated before that was my favorite um, oh that thing's awesome yeah and i there's just a fun sport here's my air gunning sport back then it was that kind of passion level where i was really involved with just tinkering and spending too much money yeah it it got really really expensive um especially before i got picked up and sponsored uh <laughs> It got, it, it, it'll actually, that will consume you. It was nonstop every day. I had, I had five acres out in the middle of the desert. All my friends would come over and we'd Baja our, our RC cars. And we had everything from the, like the rival, the mini trucks, um, all the way up to, I think our biggest was a, Oh God, I think it was a fourth scale or a fifth scale. I think it was a fifth scale. And there's nothing worse than watching your buddies bombing through your backyard with their fifth scale and hit the side of someone else's truck and just do so much damage. Yeah, those things have essentially a lawnmower engine size. Oh yeah. And it like the B fours were awesome. I love the B fours then um I did the RC-10, like, T6s, the team kits, the little truggies. I had two of those. It is just one of those most amazing things. I remember getting in trouble with the production company because we were filming in uh, Catalina off the coast of California, and I had taken one of my... Uh, I had taken the... Yeah, it was a B4... And I took the RC-10 uh, B6 out there. And instead of working and doing everything else, I was bombing this thing down the beach, running it through salt water. I mean, I destroyed so many batteries in the, like, the week I was out there. And <laughs> it was they're like, 
okay, can we all quit playing with RC cars? Then we got the director so wrapped up into playing with them that our one of our other producers were yelling at us, hey, you guys need to quit doing that. We're supposed to be filming today. But yeah, RC cars are, that was a huge passion of mine back in the day. It was when I actually had more time before I settled down with the wife and kids. I, I was just a big kid playing with toys. Back then, too, there was no lithium-ion batteries, or at least it, they were really hard to come by. I think it was just on the cusp of that switch, and you'd see that on the high-end circuit, some lithium-ion bat. The rest of us had to crap your cell batteries, and mine would get so hot. I mean, they would melt the chassis, all kinds of stuff like that. I was I went from those uh, the nickel metals, which would get just, like you said, smoking hot and swell, then I started getting the lipos, uh, and we would travel around with a huge uh, ammo can, and when we would get to where we're going, we'd fill it up with salt water because you'd start to hear the batteries pop and snap, and when the case would crack, you'd rip them out of your car real quick and chuck the whole thing into that salt water to, to neutralize the battery. And it was like once a race, you'd see someone tear off the stand, with a battery in hand and chuck that thing into that can and close the lid and they're waiting for an explosion. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, every time too, I remember that crackle now that you said that, but I'd always turn the car upside down as fast as possible. So the battery would kind of fall out because I only had a couple little pins holding it down. And my understanding was if it, if it did start leaking acid or anything like that, at least it'd go down instead of through yeah, the chassis. And- yeah, it'll just ruin the shell instead of the chassis motor and all that. I mean, we'd be at we'd, uh, Coyote Raceway in this town. It was, I think it was Adelanto. And up in Victorville, uh, California, we were racing up there. And we are in the middle of one of the finals, and the guy that was doing the best, I mean, this kid was smoking everybody. Halfway through the, out of five five laps, he was like f- just past his fourth lap. You see smoke and a gigantic fireball. And everybody's like panicking. I was like, hell no, this is my one chance to get ahead. And I actually got first place in that race because that dude was on fire. <laughs> everybody else is panicking. And I said, I'm finishing the race, y'all. We're getting this. So obviously you're a hobby kind of guy. What got you specifically into air guns and I'll, I'll ask i guess the first question what was your first air gun and then how did you get into it when it goes to the first air gun my grandfather bought a benjamin out of sears and roebuck back in the day and most people were like the younger crowds like what's a sears and roebuck it was, it was like the amazon of the time but it was in a giant catalog and you'd order pretty much anything and everything out of Sears and Roebuck. Did you check my it grandfather... out every Christmas? Did you get the catalog and circle them? Oh, yeah. Without a doubt, dog ear the pages. And you're sitting there with paper clips putting them on so you know which ones are important. And it was bad. My grandfather bought it. And when we'd go up to see him in uh, Oregon at the time, he had 1,174 acres up there. And everybody else would go out deer hunting. And he would give me and my brothers the air gun to practice with because we're not allowed to go hunting until we 
we're good with the air gun and we'd start out with the old oil can at 10 feet and if you could hit it 10 times in a row you'd step back five feet and shoot it again and shoot it again and once you're out to like 30 feet with an air gun hitting the tin can you were good enough at that point to go with them to go hunting you weren't allowed to shoot but you were able able to actually that was like the rite of passage to go and go with them to go deer hunting and watch how everything worked and it was so much fun just even looking back now just the memories of spending time with my father and my grandfather out in the middle of the woods in Oregon on this huge chunk of property playing with the air gun out there was just amazing and I remember one specific time we got done shooting the oil can and my grandfather said okay there's I want to give you guys a quarter for every time you can hit this marshmallow and we're like oh, okay we could shoot this marshmallow my grandpa being a crafty guy would take it and throw it out in the pond and then it was another game <laughs> We'd have to try to shoot the marshmallow, big old marshmallow floating in the pond with our air rifle. And if we hit it while it was floating in the pond and he would be throwing rocks in, making waves, he would give us a quarter. Little did I know he was training us how to shoot and how to track your target. He was actually doing us a huge favor. And it wasn't just for quarters and sport. He was actually training us with his air rifle and marshmallows in a pond proper rifle control and how to just how to shoot in general and it was pretty genius back then and I've always grown up I still have the Benjamin air rifle today my grandfather gave it to my father before he passed then my dad gave it to me before he passed so now I have it to give it to my boys do you think that it's kind of a lost art in teaching children now that new media has taken over and you know, parents are on their cell phones, kids are on their cell phone. Do you think we're going to lose that, that art of teaching our kids hunting? I really, really hope we don't, but the realistic part of me says yes. Um, when parents have become more concerned about what the news is telling them to do than what their heart and soul is telling them to do with their own children, it's, it's a sad time. Uh, and you can still go to certain parts of the country where parents still have the sack and backbone to be a parent. And it's nice because you'll go like out in the woods in Missouri, here in Texas in certain spots. And I've gone to Montana where kids were, hey, do you want to go watch TV? No, I want to go fishing. I'm like, God, that's how you do it right. And they're not turning on the news channel or YouTube to find out how to be a parent. They're doing it out of experience and being that's handed down for years, not like, well, Google told me I should do this with my child. That the parents today, if they were alive even 20 years ago with this mentality, if this was Spartan, there'd be a pile of bodies because they're just too dumb to learn how to be a parent on their own without Google or the news. And it's sad. I think that we should take responsibilities as adults and teach our kids something like outdoor skills, camping, hunting, fishing, 
even going out for a walk in the park. I mean, there's plenty of places to be with your child. And in the rush of this world, uh, I get it more than anybody that it is a struggle to balance work life with family time. But at the same time, if you don't, you're ruining what's going to be our future. So people need to actually take a moment, step back, pull them away from the iPad, pull them away from the TV and video games, get outside and be a family for a moment, not just the caretaker of livestock you're raising to send off to the feedlot. So I see you doing a lot of barbecuing. I wanted to ask that as one of the primary questions <laughs> I was going to ask you. What's your favorite kind of barbecue style? What's your favorite dish? Oh, that is a very tough one. When it comes to barbecue, brisket is probably the easiest thing for me to cook because you let the smoker do all the work. But like I do between barbecuing and grilling, it's, I love beef ribs. Beef ribs are an amazing thing. Um, femur tallow which is uh you actually cook the marrow itself of the inside of a femur of a beef cattle which is really really good in garlic sauce i don't know if i have an absolute favorite it's that one that one is a more difficult question than you can imagine i love making on the griddle outside uh street corn that's absolutely a cloud a crowd favorite but when it comes to the passion of cooking the one thing that i i get obsessive with is a porchetta pork belly wrapped with other meats sausages seasonings italian salami wrapped up butcher twine on a rotisserie four to six hours and you cut that thing in half and start to eat it you can put a drop of that on your forehead and your tongue will beat your brains out to get to it it's that damn good on beef ribs, how do you prep it? Because my, my problem is the older I get, the more with the fat on the bottom, I, I can't actually eat it. I'll, I'll get one rib in, I just get kind of grossed out. And when I was young, I could just, you know, not not care about that. But now I'm kind of conscious about that. Well, what do you do? Um, beef ribs, it's kind of funny because that's not, you're not the first person actually this week to tell me that. And I've worked beef ribs a certain way. Um, you have the, the body of the rib with that, the little narrow bone. Then you have the knuckle of the rib on the side, that big clump of meat and chunk, which is like the rib tip. What I did for some of my friends actually about two, three weeks ago, you take the rib, flip it over. So you have the bone side, peel that silver skin off, just peel that membrane off, cut the ribs individually and I'll pop that knuckle off and actually pull meat from either end. So it's, you have two stubs and all the fat's kind of gone from it. And you just have the body of meat itself. And then I will cook it either, I'll pre-cook it in a beer bath, in a sous vide, or in the oven in a pan with all the marinade. And then I'll throw it on the smoker or on the griddle and just char it, just slightly char it so you have the crunch, but it's, a lot less of the fat and gristle, and you're getting more of the meat. Ran into you at SHOT Show. I wanted to ask you what your opinion was of SHOT Show this year, the good, the bad, the ugly. 
the good thing about SHOT Show this year is the people that showed up to visit us at SHOT Show were serious about the industry. There was a lot more real business happening, a lot more interaction with dedicated customers, dedicated dealers. It seemed like there was more meaningful dialogue happening than there has been in years. This was my 25th year at SHOT. And this is the first time I could remember that it had been that productive over such a short period of time. It felt like I was busier at this show than I had been in years, just because the people that showed up weren't tire kickers. Wasn't someone asking me, is this a BB gun, not an air gun? And it wasn't people telling me about Lewis and Clark. I was like, okay, you're like the 15th person that told me that this year. No, it was actually real dialogue, real serious business, serious questions. And that was the good part. It was, of course, and the travel inside and out down the Salmon River of bodies that were coming to and leaving every morning. It was a lot easier to get out. But a lot more meaningful content and dialogue was had and a lot more true, real business happened there. Now, on the flip side, the SHOT Show Gestapo over there was walking around with their health and safety crew recording people's booths. And if you took your mask off to eat some food or take a drink of water, the health and safety staff was trying to videotape exhibitors and taking booth numbers and trying to write violations or coming back and threatening people. And that's, I'm going to come on. There's a certain point where let's be realistic. If you're wearing a mask and you can smell the dude's fart that's next to you, it ain't protecting you from COVID. Yeah, absolutely. Those masks Let's just do nothing. Even though like the top democratic yeah. health people in the nation say they don't do anything. I'm really against anything shut down. And I don't know. And now with this Omicron, I mean, it essentially makes the virus like nothing for vaccinated and non-vaccinated. I mean, you're right there at the flu, but I'll continue on instead of pulling you into my, my comments. I wanted to ask the Air Force aero shooting air guns because I saw it at SHOT Show. I talked to you for a brief minute, and they're really cool. Can you give a lowdown on what they are, what what's different about them in comparison to other companies? All right. We came out with an air gun. We've actually had this aero gun. When I first started visiting Air Force before I ever worked here, We've had this in the works for over 10 years. And it was something that we always played with. It was at the time when we first sat down with John and developed it, it was more fun for us, not for the masses. It was something, hey, look what we did at Air Force. It was just fun. It was playing around. It was a good time to be had. And the project kind of got shelved. We'd break it out when we'd come, I would come to town and fly in on my break from filming and we'd play with it. But over the last five years, people started, other companies started coming out with arrow guns. And I actually came 
one of my first jobs growing up was in the archery industry. I used to shoot competitive archery, just like Joe Ria did. Um, shot archery. I worked for a stabilizing company that built stabilizers for the industry. Uh, and that was a, another, not just a hobby, a big part of my life was archery. So when all these other companies started producing arrow guns and I was able to look at what they were doing and see the good and bad behind it. I was like, okay. So when we revisited, Air Force decided to revisit the arrow gun. I said, well, this is what I would like to make the changes. I know everybody's in the big struggle for speed. But let's be realistic. There's been natives taking down buffalo with a recurve and a stick for years and that was plenty of power to take down a big animal all over the world in hungary they hunted archery all the damn time so just to keep in the market side of it we decided to make an arrow gun that could shoot that 450 feet per second plus but where air force stands apart we understand the laws of physics. <laughs> so we decided to make a tunable, the only tunable arrow shooting gun on the market by taking our existing product, the ring lock cap, and being able to put that on the valve. You can slow that arrow or bolt, whatever you want to call it, down to the, the realistic speeds between two and 300. But if you really want to wing it, you can go up to the 450 feet per second plus. So we designed the arrow gun so it'll shoot with the ring lock system, everything from the low speeds to the extremely high speeds. Then what we did is we realized that the majority of the market that want to get into the air gun world, it's very difficult for them to go buy this anything from 700 to $2,000 air gun, no matter what it is, what brand, and then spend the money on a carbon fiber cylinder, which is another 600 bucks, then go buy an air compressor that's 1200 bucks that'll fill to 4,500 PSI. So we designed the arrow gun to function off of 1500, up to 1600 PSI. That way you can actually go get an aluminum 80 scuba tank from your scuba shop, paintball shop, fill that up, use that as your fill system, and you'll still get multiple fills, and you can get a used tank for 80, 90 bucks. So we made an arrow gun that was tunable and function off of 1500 PSI, and that does a couple things. It allows more people into the market, and it allows longevity of your arrows and bolts. If you're shooting, I see some companies out there using carbon fiber. Carbon fiber is great when you cut it. If you don't have the right inserts and the glues, it fractures, little crystal fractures along the shaft. And when you're pushing these things at certain velocities, it stresses out that glass and you get fractures. You get a bad shot, clip a branch, send it off into the dirt and hit a rock. You chip your carbon fiber, you're screwed. So we decided to go with the high-strength aluminum to give more longevity. There's nothing worse than spending a bunch of money on some bolts 
sending it downrange, you break one. Okay, I haven't even sighted this in yet. You do it two or three times and you're out 60 to 100 bucks. I've done it in the regular compound archery world. So we wanted to make it more friendly to the end user, give you more longevity, and a lightweight platform that's not plastic, that is actual aluminum framed arrow gun. I saw that you also came out with uh, kind of the version, in-house version, the walk guard, the, the trigger guard assembly on the bottom. Yeah. We up, we're upgrading, as we speak, we're reintroducing that new guard to our whole line of Air Force guns, where it'll, you can use that, it'll, your new ones you purchase will come with that, even our Texans and our utility models are being released in certain stages. Now you can use whatever A2 style grip you want on your air gun, and it just gives it more options for the end user. You can kind of customize it now. You can put your own grip. And I just think it, it's a better look, and it was a step that Air Force decided as a team that, you know what, we've been doing this a certain way for so long. Let's progress along with the industry and try to better our product. Not that the old way was bad, but we just kind of going along with the things and upgrade it to make it just even better. Will those be on the arrow shooting air guns as well? That's the plan. That's awesome. Yeah, I think that is going to be really well received. And on the scuba tank note, uh, the standard aluminum tank that you can get, I've gotten those before for 30 bucks. You know, if you wait around and someone just has one sitting there and go, hey, I'll buy that off you and you're not in a rush, you can usually get them pretty cheap. So I know you had something else come out with the raw too. Um, what, what, what happened there? What we did is we teamed together with the, on the, well, a, a bunch has happened with the raw in general. We listened to a lot of the feedback that people were saying, because as I'm the director of R&D at Air Force Air Guns, and funny enough, the R&D stands for Research and Destruction, not Development. I'm here to destroy stuff and see how I can develop it better after I do destroy it. So I get on every morning when I get to work, and I check the forums, look at the YouTube posts, read people's feedback, and we had quite a few complaints and some people liked our old moderator system and others would call it the tuna can or the torpedo or the muffler. So we decided, okay, there was such a mixed reaction to that development on the moderator. We came to a company agreement. We'll offer it as a threaded end cap so you can put whatever you want on the end. So now the new ROS will be rolling out with a threaded end piece so you can put whatever moderator on there you want and if you have the old style you can send it to us for a fee we will retrofit it to the new system and on top of that we added the drop down lever cocking lever that's going to be added onto the new models people were complaining it didn't have a drop down lever they're going to make one or they're going to machine one to make our customers happy and as a improvement on other already awesome platform, we decided to come out with a drop down lever too. So every time someone makes a comment, we take note of it and try to 
filter out the people just angry trolling versus the constructive criticism. And people started asking, hey, we'd like to, a PRS setup. So what we did is we reached out to a couple different companies. Um, AccuTac, loved those guys. Absolutely amazing human being, Philippe. He was just such an asset to this industry. said, hey, we're doing a PRS system. Can you recommend a bipod setup? So we got with him and came up with bipods that work, and they're already established great for the air gun world. Got with Gray Ops, came up with the Arca Rail setup, side weights, and bag rest, uh, Armageddon gear, for all of our bags themselves. Um, KSS uh, is developed, has already developed and has a patent pending on a barrel tuner. Some people are all about them, some people hate them, but that's gonna be available too. So we've met up with like MDT stocks, Ergo Grips, Hogue. We've gotten with all these companies and taken the raw to them and saying, hey, what is your gear that you could outfit this with to make it the ultimate rifle? And luckily, everybody's completely on board. They're like, hey, I got an idea. Let's do this. Let's do this. So we sat down with all these companies, and we came up with a rifle that was there at the show, completely decked out with everything you need for any shooting situation and competition. And that's what was there. And on the end, we met up with Donnie FL and said, hey, bro, this is the gun. Work with me. Let's do what we can for those that want it quiet. So we sat down with Donnie and put one of his showguns on there. And between Donnie, AccuTac, Gray Ops, MDT Hogue, all these people, Armageddon gear, we set this gun up to be badass. And then I got to go shoot it. Now I don't want to give it back. <laughs> you mentioned positive kind of criticism online and a lot of negative kind of trolling criticism. And there's a lot of both, obviously, and specifically with the Air Force, the main line. And I'm a, I'm a prime example. One of my favorite guns is the Talon P. And yet I'm always swearing at it for being single shot. And yet I've bagged literally more game with that one little Talon P than all my other guns combined. <laughs> so... The, the question I had for you is, I guess on the on the negative criticism, what's the most BS kind of criticism you come across in your R&D, your research and destruction? What's the uniquely hilarious thing that you see people talking about Air Force air guns? Oh, my God. It is absolutely hilarious. Um, anybody that's in, like, a repair center at any company gets to read the feedback and like granted our repair center at air force is literally a small rack and we get maybe four or five returns a week if that and it's usually for maintenance but every once in a while you get the special people and these people really rock i mean they're creative they send Look, I'm a doctor, lawyer, engineer. And let me tell you, everybody, I guess, these days is an engineer. Because that's how they start off their conversation, their emails, their letters. I'm an engineer, and I can tell you how to make this better. Your gun's a piece of crap. Okay. 
and I like to conversate with them just to see where they're going. Well, I cast my own lead. I said, okay, what size? Let's say our Texan for one is a four, five, seven. Well, I got a, a 45 diameter. What's the exact measurement? They're all four, five, two. I said, wrong size doesn't gonna, ain't going to work. Well, I'm an engineer. I know. I said, okay, you're cute. Go away. But you get the people that never actually read the manual or learn their air rifle. And they complain about it. And it's amusing to me that, okay, with our Texan line and our utility guns, we use a dry lube. We tell people not to use gun oil, not to do any other things that will cause problems coming up and void your warranty. And they go ahead and do it anyways, and they call us and tell us it's our fault for not telling them. I said, did you read your manual? Well, no. It should be more obvious than that. I said, well, it is. It's read the manual. But our all-time favorite horrible troll customer is the ones that buy a brand new gun and tear it completely apart and disassemble it and void the warranty right off the bat. And I ask them, why'd you tear it apart? Well, I came from, I'm a, a sniper, black ops, Delta six something. And they come out with this, this longest line of military specifications that they qualify for that we always take apart our gear to know it. I said, did you read the manual? No. I said, so you know all this stuff, but you take apart your gun anyways. Do you know how to put it back together? No, that's why I'm calling. Well, you've ordered your warranty. You guys suck. It's the worst company in the world. You won't even back your own product. I said, we back our product as long as you don't completely take it apart and break it. Well, I try to put it back together. I stripped the holes. You need to fix it. Like, did you listen to what you just said? You damaged the gun and we need to warranty it because you broke it? I've never even fired it once. Okay. Once again, and those are the customers that crack us up. Well, that, um, that is a standard policy across every company <laughs> that I know that does air guns. And then on top of that, you can order Air Force air guns in parts. And yes. if you really want to assemble it from the beginning, you can order those parts and you'd probably be a little more respectful of assembling it in uh, your speed, especially if you don't know how to, you didn't see the finished product. It might be a little, you know, kind of like the RC10, RCB4 or whatever. You might go on a better pace. Oh, yeah. And just like the RC cars, the first time I tried to build one myself from ground up, dude, it was the perfect circle track car because it would never go straight. I was like, I had more respect. I went down to associate. I said, Hey guys, can you show me how to fix this? And it was, was little that, stuff was that I did zero? wrong. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> well, you got to bring a bullshit. Yeah. So <laughs> why do you think American made is a still worthwhile endeavor? I know it's a worthwhile endeavor for the fact that most um, companies that go American made are trying so hard to keep it American made and trying so hard to keep Amer other American business in, up and running that when they put out a product, they know that, okay, you mass order from China. Oh, I got, I ordered 1500 units, 300 of them bad. Well, we get them at such a discount. It's trash anyways, throw them away. 
no, if we're taking the time and energy and sourcing to do American made, we want to put out the highest quality possible. I always think and, about the amount of money that we've lost by going abroad. And I'm not necessarily calling out any specific country, but I'll just use China in this one instance. I mean, in this last two years, a lot of a lot of loss in profit has occurred from shipping and all that kind of stuff. And I think it's a greater loss than the gains that we would have made if we had kept products here in the United States, even though you pay out of pocket initially. I think in the end of the end of the day, you'd probably be ahead if you had stuck with America. Without a doubt. And that's what cracks me up is no one will balk or raise a stink over spending $40 10 times over an item that's broke 10 times in, let's say, two years. Well, it's only 40 bucks. It's only 40 bucks. It's only 40 bucks. That 40 bucks keeps adding up. So why don't you get the American-made one? It's only 90 bucks. Oh, that's just way too expensive. I said, okay, um, public school has failed us again because evidently you're ignoring simple math. And it, the mentality of it's cheaper right now, so it has to be cheaper in the long run, blows my mind. Spend a little bit more. And my wife is from Slovakia. I go to Slovakia every chance I get. I just got back from there uh, right after right after uh, it was EBR. I left to go see my family in Slovakia. Their mentality there is amazing. They want to buy once. They want to spend money on quality. And if it's cheap, cheap made plastic, cheap crap, they kind of look down on it and avoid it because they know their money is worth so much to them. Their time and effort is worth so much to them. They don't want to throw it away. And I'm like, America's kind of gotten away from that. Oh, I can get this one on Amazon for $7 less. Let's get that one. Well, it's a lot cheaper. I don't care. It's $7 less, but you're going to have to replace it in two months. I don't care. It's only seven bucks. That, that mentality is just, it's amazing to me. I just don't get it. Yeah. Just to give an illustration with air force air guns, I had a male quick disconnect unit on the Talon P break and they sent me a new one from Texas in two days. And you can't get yeah. that. If you're talking some other company from abroad, you can't get that kind of service. No, it, and we try to keep, as many parts in stock and you know what? I talk a lot of trash about the, the at home tear it apart and we're going to fix it ourselves people. But on the flip side, once I get those customers that I take them from a troll, we try to take them from a troll that just bad mouths and talks crap. We spend a lot of time on the phones trying to educate our customers because okay they made a mistake and everybody that makes the mistake there's a moment of embarrassment some people take it well like hey they fess up to it know what I screwed up I need it fixed we love those customers we'll go through the trenches with them to make it right and make everything work 
the ones that are pissed off and angry, it takes us a little more time and a little more frustration, but we try to educate them to teach them what happened and why it went wrong. And then once we get them past that point, they turn into really good customers like, hey, thanks, Tony, we worked through this, or thanks, Leah, thanks, Rachel, we worked through this, and now we, we want to fix it. Well, do you want us to send it? Do you want to send it into us to fix? They're all, no, I want to give it a try first. They'll call us up. Simple as a refill nipple. Don't over tighten it because you're going to cause the pin in the center to be bottomed out and it won't fill. Oh, I screwed it up. Let me order another one. Here's a couple bucks more in the mail. Two days later, it's at their house. And then we get emails and phone calls being, hey, guys, sorry, we started off on a bad foot. Everything's great now. We love your product. And that's the that's the reward at the end of the struggle that we like to see here at Air Force is like, we've taken a situation that could have gone really bad and just pissed off. And every once in a while, you still get the customer that no matter what, they're going to be unhappy. But for the majority of the time, we take those customers from a troll, angry, pissed off, hate the world to, hey, man, I can't wait to see you at the show. I'm going to show you how I fixed up my gun. Cool. And we love, we like that. We love that. So how did you get started with Air Force air guns to begin with? I started, um, actually funny enough, it was a couple of my friends back in the desert had the air guns. Uh, it was a Talon SS and a Condor SS. <clears throat> We're talking 2008, 2009. And we'd go out goofing off while we're out camping, target practice. We'd go out to the range and one of my buddies is showing this thing off. I was like, dude, this thing is amazing. And I started shooting it. And then in 2012, we're St. Louis NRA. I was in the middle of an interview. And my buddy walks up. He's like, dude, that company's here, Air Force Air Guns. I said, no shit. He's like, yeah, they're right around the corner. I'm in the middle of an interview with NRA. I said, hey, guys, I got to go, but you're welcome to follow me. We ditched the meeting and they followed us over and there was John and everybody sitting at the booth at NRA and I got to talking to them. I said, I've been shooting your guns. I don't own one personally, but I absolutely love it. And started this amazing relationship. When I got home, I ordered one and then I ordered another one and then it got to the point where I was calling them, talking to them about once a week. I flew down here and met the rest of the crew. Actually, I met him at a reptile convention that was here like a month or two later. Came over to the facility. I said, hey, I love your guns. I would like to get a survival gun. I was really heavy into the, the survival stuff at the time and working with uh, the film industry doing survival. I said, I want a backpack gun, lightweight, lots of horsepower. And John and I sat down and developed the escape line of air guns and it kind of snowballed from there they haven't been able to get rid of me since so when i got done with uh filming and wanted to take a break i settled down got married had two kids i said i'm going to move back to texas i said john i want a job i want to do r d he's like okay when can you start i'm i'll move here in a couple months so i moved down here and started working for him that's now, 
That's awesome. I'm competing on their shooting team. <laughs> what events do you like to attend when it comes to shooting? Well, it's amusing for the fact because back in the day, and I say that interestingly because this goes back to last year. <laughs> John asked me one day, he's like, hey, do you want to go to RMAC? I said, the air gun challenge? He's like, yeah. He's all, they got bench rest. They got all kinds of stuff. I said, bench rest? John, I'm a hunter. I don't do bench rest. It doesn't look fun. He's like, you ever done it? I said, no. You need to try it. I said, yeah, it's just not my, it doesn't seem like my thing. He's all, once again, have you tried it? I said, no. So they sent me to RMAC, and I showed up like, happy to see everybody wasn't those so thrilled about sitting behind the bench and throwing lead down range i sat down at the very first my very first competition was rmac last year justin and austin absolutely upstanding amazing people and the whole crew at utah air guns welcomed us in i cannot say enough good things about those guys love them to death they sit down and I'm like, what the hell am I doing? I got to get up and I have, I listen to the speech in the morning. I'm like, okay, safety rules, range rules. I didn't get it. So I was like, okay, I sit down, my, my heat comes up and this poor guy next to me saw me staring at him and he looks up, he's like, what are you doing? I said, bro, this is my first competition. So I'm copying everything you're doing so I know I don't screw up before we even start shooting our first round. This poor bastard's name is John Bagakis. I got stuck next, well, he got stuck next to me and he walked me through my very first competition. That's uh, not, a, not a bad person to shout out though. No, and it started this amazing friendship because I was like, what do we do now? I'm like, can I fill my gun now? He's like, no, not yet. How about now? Not yet. Now? No, not yet. He's all, okay, now. He's like, yes. <laughs> I talked to him in Moore Bay uh, during the AAFTA, I think it was the the championships or whatever it was. I, I just went out there to take photos and he was there and it was just after EBR and I got to talk to him for a little bit and he is a very serious shooter. I mean, that, that guy's a competitor. Dude, he is amazing. His discipline, damn show off. <laughs> now he's uh, he is such an amazing shooter, such a great guy. He's the one that booked the house for us uh, at EBR, so we all stayed at his place. And I went through and asked him every question imaginable. I picked his brain up and down. I've been in the air gun world a long time, but. When it goes from hunting to target shooting and competition, it's a vastly different world. Were you able to do the big bore events at either RMAC or EBR? At RMAC, I went out there and I participated in the big bore event and I borrowed a gun because I had lent my gun to someone else. The first shot, the scope that was on there gave out. <laughs> the reticle was just destroyed. So we had fun the rest of the competition and it was 
there was no real competing for me at that. Once the scope, the first shot, you could see the reticle bounce. And I was like, oh, crap. Okay, it was just fun. Didn't do worth a piss. It was horrible. But it was a lot of fun. I at least got to go through the motions and see how it was. At EBR, I wasn't physically capable. I had uh, recently left the emergency room two days before, checked myself out of the hospital, and flew to EBR to compete. And Joe Ria, Bagakis, and Red Graves, and Dave Corder all had to help me survive that show. So as soon as I left EBR, I had to go. I flew back to Texas and went right back into surgery again. Oh, man. <laughs> One thing I've always thought about on the big bore events, and I, I just spectated, so I've never competed on a big bore, at least for, with air guns. But one thing I I have a Western big bore, for example, the 45, uh, 452 gun. And my oh, nice. one thing I thought about is what if you just stuck iron sights on? Because a lot of the people that actually registered higher made those close shots and they had difficulty with the outside targets. What? And I was just thinking this is just completely BSing right now. But if you just strategically said, you know what, I'm not going to make the 400 yarder. And maybe not even the 350, whatever. But you're just going to get everything in between with your iron sights. You're just giving up on the whole. I think it could be a strategy. I mean, I, I'm going to probably be covering it just for fun, just spectating. <laughs> so if I go to the big bore event, I can do that the first day and I can just dick around with some iron sights. I don't know. It's something I'm thinking about just doing just to it, see if I can place anywhere. That is a genius strategy because... You'll see the guys out there, and I've actually noticed it too. I made a comment about it on the close shots that I did during when my scope went out. I had the high rings on there, so all I did, the only shots that I hit on target that got close because my scope was so screwed up is I looked underneath the scope between my high rings and used the top rail and I hit my three targets at close range just by looking over the top of the gun. Everything else out past uh, pretty much 75 and on out, dude, I might as well have been Helen Keller in a Hall of Mirrors just lost. Yeah, and I mean, the, at least with EBR, the targets are at least about a foot wide, you know, the gongs. So you could yeah. get good with your holdover and maybe, I don't know, I, I think I should be the, the dummy test, you know. I'll, I'll go through. Dude, that's actually a sacrificially you know <laughs> um so i want to ask you another question what changes do you want to see in the air gunning community in the air gun community i would actually like to see i i noticed this at the competitions and both of them were great competitions ebr and rmac um for the most part everybody got along so great but you leave these events and you leave certain things and you come back to the computer, you sit down and for the love of God, there's so many pissy people on the forums. Everybody is the smartest person they've ever met and they trash so many people. I mean, I just wish when it came to the forums, you're right. When you type it in a forum, it's there forever. As, as soon as you hit send, 
Even if you delete it 10 seconds later, the odds someone already screen captured that content. Think about what you're saying when you're online. Think about what you're saying when you're putting it out to people. If people can just be a little more supportive, it's a small group. Realistically, air guns in the shooting sports world, in the hunting world, is still a very small, tight-knit group. And there's always going to be an asshole or two out there, and we know that. But do your best not to be one of them, is what I can recommend to people. Support each other. This is a small thing. You want everybody to make the sport grow. I don't give a damn what gun you're shooting. Of course, I shoot for Air Force. I work at Air Force. I I support them. I don't have to, but I do out of the fact that I actually really like our guns, and I stand behind them. And... If someone's shooting another brand, big deal. They're out there participating in the sport, helping the sport grow. Not like, oh, that asshole shooting this gun. What a piece of crap. They're never. I don't care if they're going to win. I didn't go to win. I went there to compete and have a good time. Treat everybody with a little bit of respect because they're what's out there keeping this industry. If everybody you hate because they have a different gun or a different outlook or a different something... If you removed all those people from the sport, usually the guy that hates everybody would be shooting alone, which maybe that's what he needs to do. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it is weird that how small of a niche group, just like you referenced, it is weird how partisan it can get, especially between some of these bigger, higher-end brands, and you know the brands. And it's always a funny thing for me because I'm a free market kind of guy. I always look at it as competition's really good because it always makes everyone better. And yet on the forums, a lot of this partisanship translates to a lot of trolls on both sides kind of trolling each other. And it's always an interesting fact to think about. It it drives me nuts. I'm like, you could pull up any forum right now and pick any thread. And especially if it says, well, I'm just getting the air guns. I just bought this gun. No matter what it is. What should I do to make it better? And there's always going to be some keyboard warrior dick out there that's going to say you should just sell it or you bought yourself an expensive boat anchor i said and i'm it takes a lot for me to say hey i'm all speaking from experience in your mom's basement covered in vaseline and cheeto puffs (laughs) i'm all you need to leave it alone homie you've never pulled a trigger because you can't get off your fat ass yeah i'm like it pisses me off because and I own 36 guns. No, you didn't. You pulled that number out of the air, asshole. It's like every keyboard warrior that doesn't even own a gun is going to put in their two cents. It's like, hey, I bought a gun. I'm trying to make it better. That shows the guy wants to be part of this industry, wants to promote it, wants to do something good. And the first person on there is going to trash him and say, no, you got a boat anchor. Those people need to shut up and get off the forum and go out and see sunlight because you know they're about so white and opaque they're see-through because they've never left the cave of their dungeon. Did you see that mountain sport air guns, will they survive video that Dana did? No, I actually have it loaded to see it. Oh, you got to see it. It's it's brutal. I mean, he just takes an, he takes an FX, a Brocock, and an evil, American Air Arms evil, drags him around, just torture tests the heck out of them. 
but the question I was going to ask, and I, I think he could still, <laughs> yeah, I mean, he throws him off a cliff and everything. It's, it's brutal. See, that's awesome. Yeah. What I do love you, that. I guess I was going to use that as a springboard to ask, what do you want to see for air gun reviews? Because there's a lot of insufferable air gun reviews out there. And, you know, it, it kind of brings back the SHOT Show, the beginning of this podcast. We were talking about SHOT Show. And the, the ugly to me of SHOT Show is and ironically what I am, right? It's the insufferable media person going around asking questions. So for you, what what do you want to see out of Airgun Reviews to not be that superficial review? What do you want to see that's substantive? First off, the media out there is unnecessary, and I love it because there's two things that does for me. And the Airgun world in, in general. Whether it's the dude out there with his iPhone 5 and a selfie stick doing a vlog, or the person out there with their red camera walking around with a full-blown production, the media is what gets the word out when all else fails. And it's the media's responsibility to, if you're stepping into those shoes, which you have, is take everybody's opinion and put it out there to the best of your ability and educate people. And that's what you're doing, which is really freaking cool. And I love it because I've learned this being in the television world that the second they quit talking about it or talking about you, you disappear. You're forgotten. I mean, it, it happens. And it's then it's a battle to get back out there and be recognized. And that goes with air guns, too. When people quit reporting, quit finding it interesting, quit doing interviews, the industry goes away. And it might as well be an atlatl sitting in the middle of the desert trying to hunt coyotes. It's just like, people still do that? Um, when it comes to reviews, I, I, I enjoy the side-by-sides videos, but... One of my favorite persons that does reviews, and it's not just on air guns, is Joe Ria, Cyclops. Absolutely love that guy because he's, his perspective is fresh out of give a shit. He doesn't give a shit what you think. He, what he's concerned about is the product, what comes in. He's not sponsored by 1,600 people. He gets a product in gives an honest review and there's no benefit for him either way. It's, this is what it is. This is the product. This is what it does. This is how it works. This is the pros. This is the, uh, cons. It's very monochromatic the way he presents it. It's amazing. And granted, some people are a little bit turned off by his, uh, presentation of it, but, that's Joe. His reviews are amazing. I love reviews, and I would like to see more reviews where people are actually honest. And honest speaking, like, if I got out there and did a review of an Air Force air guns, people are like, Dick, you work for him. Of course you're going to give us all the ups and very little downs of it more independent reviewers, the better, the more 
more data they put out there, I, there's a person in general, I'm not going to toss him underneath the bus, that reviews a product, is full-on sponsored, works for him on the payroll, that tells everybody he's independent. He shoots his gun, and then does a cutaway to the velocities on the chronograph. And then, well, look at this long shot. I did this long shot. They sh showing him doing shots on targets. And the point of impact shift of like, if you stop and freeze frame, because I get bored and I actually do that. I'm like, okay, your point of impact, the projectile is not entering the target at the same angle. You're actually flatter at a hundred than you were at 50. Something's wrong. You're lying. And more honest reviews, more true data and specs, because all that's going to do is help the industry and help the end user because then they know what they're buying. And just because your gun doesn't do 900 to 1100 feet per second in 45 cal, it doesn't matter. How accurate is it? How consistent is it? How does it work? How does it help the end user? By putting inflated numbers and faked chronograph tests and it, it doesn't help anybody. It actually can hurt the industry because a new buyer comes in. Does anybody really think the air gun at Walmart you bought off the shelf in a box that's a spring gun really does 3,000 feet per second? It, it That hurts the industry because they go out, oh, yeah, I got an air gun from Walmart. I spent 49 bucks on it. It does 3,000 feet per second. I'm like... Uh, did you shoot it over a chronograph? No, it said it on the box and everything you read on the internet is true. Okay. So a little bit, and this is the penultimate question I have for you, a little bit on that kind of same vein, but what should the air gunning community avoid in your opinion? It could be something specific with a, a function of a rifle. It can be marketing. It could be literally anything. What should the air gunning community avoid? Oh, that is a very, very difficult question. I'll, I'll give you mine <laughs> and let you think about it. For me, it's going back to the partisanship that I talked about a couple of minutes ago. And you can get it with every gun, you know, Brocock, FX, the Day State, uh, even Raw, you know, and there's people that will buy in. And I think it's a psychological thing. I think when they invest $4,000 into a platform, they it's almost like stockholm syndrome they are so invested financially <laughs> that they get hyper partisan about it and then they get personally insulted if there is a genuine critique and every gun has a downfall every single one of my guns even my talent p i kind of curse at about one aspect or another and you know i love all my guns but i'm critical of all of them however i think that's a little i'm a little different and a little more critical than some people but going back to the forums, I see that Stockholm syndrome type attitude with certain people and certain platforms. And I just, I, that's one thing I think we should avoid, but I'll, I'll give the floor back to you. That's exactly where I think you hit the nail on the head with that. Coming from the firearms industry, I've been sponsored by Ruger, CMMG, a lot of the big boys. And in the firearms world, you go to the shooting range and everybody's like, dude, look what I got. Look what I got. And it's, everybody's always happy for each other. Dude, that is badass. And what 
the air gun industry is missing is that same mentality. You're when your buddy comes out, let's say I'm shooting a CMMG and someone comes out with a stag arms. I'm happy for him. I'm not pissed off talking crap. Dude, that is awesome. And the hardest thing for me to deal with is the guys that get a gun and they go out and trash talk someone that has something. Not everybody can afford the top of the line everything. Be supportive of the guys that can't, that are just getting into the industry. Be supportive of the dude. Okay, big deal. He has a BSA scope on there. That's all he could afford at the time. Support him. And Joe does this all the time. And this is one of the reasons I love that crazy one-eyed son of a bitch. He straight up tells you, hey, we've been at the range at the competition. And he sees someone with a bad scope or a broken scope. He saunders over there and says, hey, here you go. Hands him a scope. This is my old one. I got a new one. This will help you out in the long run. No matter how coarse and how rough that dude is, he wants to see this industry grow. And he'll go out and take a four or $500 scope that he's no longer using, give it to somebody that can't afford it and is trying to do their best, and he doesn't want recognition for it. He does it because he loves the sport, loves the industry, and loves the people. If there was more people with that attitude, <coughs> it would be absolutely the most amazing community of air gun shooters in the world. Absolutely. Because it's just, there was no upside for him to give out scopes to people other than we're helping the industry. And it's... It's just here. I'm not, he won't trash talk him. He's, well, he's like, that guy didn't have a really good scope and I'm not using this one. I can get another one. His mentality is I can get another one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's cool. And even Justin over at Utah Air Guns, when the guys from Mad Dog got their truck broken into. Pit Justin. Bull. Pitbull, you mean? Yeah, Pitbull. Um, went out of his way and... I'm not going to put all of his business on blast. Well, I kind of am because he's a freaking amazing dude. He stepped up not having to. And him, Austin, Justin, all those guys from Utah chipped in and made sure those guys got the majority of the guns replaced. I mean, if there was more people like Joe, Justin... And all the guys from Utah out there, I mean, hell, even Bagakis, I'm his competitor. I am truly his competitor. He shoots for a different team. We stay at the same house. He gives me tips. He helps me out. He was going through little tricks of the trade in the competition world that coming from the hunting world, I didn't have. And if more people were like that in this industry we would be unstoppable instead of people sitting home banging on a keyboard covered in Mountain Dew and Funyuns being dicks. <laughs> be nice. <laughs> keyboard warrior. Last question I have where I've taken too much of your time. Uh, what are you working on next? I'm actually getting ready for uh, 
Ewa, we're headed to Germany. We're working on a few new projects for the Air Force and RAW. I can't give out the details yet, but we got a lot of new cool stuff coming. And then when I get back, my family's going to be coming back from Europe. And then I'm going to be getting ready for RMAC, baby. Oh, yeah. I can't wait. And uh, what are your social plugs for people to find and follow you? Um, Tun Jones Official on Instagram and the real ton jones on facebook or if you just follow me through instagram you'll see the facebook and my youtube is mostly food porn so is my instagram but there is a, a good air gun and uh powder burner content on there um follow me i try to get answer as many messages as possible and have a lot of fun if you're nice to me online I'm nice to you, and I don't block you. So ask away, come visit, say hi, look at the food porn, and watch what I'm doing traveling around. All right. Well, Ton, it was a real pleasure talking to you today on the Atlas Air Guns podcast, and thank you so much for coming on. Hey, thank you. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Atlas Airguns podcast. Make sure to like with a five-star rating, share, and subscribe. Have a question? Email atlasairguns at gmail.com.